Well, let me begin by saying it's been a wonderful Global Awareness Week here at Grace. Seems like every year we say it's the best Global Awareness Week ever. Well, that's because it feels that way every year. Each year is uh, insightful and unique and transformative, and that certainly has been the case. So we do want to thank our partners, both regionally and globally, who've been with us, uh, some coming from far away, some making the commute every day to be with us from around Boston. But it's been a rich week, and um, I, I know we're sending you back well-fed. <laughs> I hope we are also sending you back encouraged, knowing that you are loved and supported and prayed for um, here at Grace. I also want to thank Pastor Jeanette and uh, her coordinator Avery and the missions leadership team that crafted this entire week for us and put it all together. Many volunteers who hosted partners in their homes, who provided rides and meals and all kinds of support. And thanks to the Grace Chapel congregation for being a globally aware community, wanting to know and learn more about what God is doing so that we can be part of it both here and abroad. It's been a good week. It's turned out to be an interesting week for our global partners in particular to have been with us. They have seen the good and the bad, the ugly of American politics. And it's been interesting to kind of watch them process it with us this week. And we'll do a little bit of that actually in our message in just a few minutes. But as we close out the week, I'd, I'd like us to take another look at this theme of neighboring well. And we'll do that to try to consolidate some of the things we have learned, some of the stories we've heard this week, so that we can actually be better neighbors locally and nationally and globally. So let's begin by asking, who exactly are our neighbors? I want you to think for a minute about the people who live next door to you, on either side, maybe across the hall or across the street. Think about them for a moment. Do you know their names, first and last? Do you know where they came from originally? Do you know what they do for a living? Their religious background, if any. If you don't, you are not alone. They tell us that more than half of Americans, most Americans, cannot name their next-door neighbors. One in three Americans have never had any interaction with their next-door neighbors. Only about one in five have any kind of regular, ongoing interaction with their neighbors. So it's safe to say we all have a thing or two to learn about neighboring well. Since we're on the subject, let's make it a little more interesting and a little more uncomfortable. Do you know how your neighbors voted? <laughs> Do you know why they voted that way? Do you know how they're feeling today in the wake of the election? And to get even more pointed, how about the people sitting next to you right now? Not the ones you came with, but the ones on either side, <laughs> the ones in front of you or behind you. Do you know their names? Do you know where they live? How long they've been around here? Do you know who they voted for and how they're feeling? And would you dare ask them? Now, clearly, there's more to neighboring well than knowing names and having conversations, but it would seem to begin there. So again, it seems as though we have a thing or two to learn about neighboring well. So let's take a look at our theme verse for this week, Mark 12, 31, and see what we can learn about neighboring well on the other side of Global Awareness Week and on the other side of Election Day. That's where we're headed. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm wearing a gray shirt this morning. It's neither red nor blue, 
and not even purple. It is nonpartisan. Absolutely. Okay. Mark chapter 12, beginning uh, at verse 24, 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which one is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, this question is one of a series of questions posed to Jesus by some bright, thoughtful teachers of the law. Now, most of those questions were designed to trap Jesus, to get him in trouble with the people or with the authorities or both. Questions like, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? This question, however, seems to have been asked more sincerely by a thoughtful, seeking person. Of all the commandments, which is the greatest? It turns out it was a very popular question at the time. Judaism had hundreds of laws, 400 plus specific commandments, most of them coming right out of the Old Testament scriptures, some of them accumulated by tradition. But the average person couldn't even remember 400 some commandments, let alone keep them all. So a logical question was to ask was, which ones are the most important? And of all of them, which one is the most important? And so religious people loved debating this question the way we might debate predestination and free will or how to vote in an election, something like that. Now, interestingly and characteristically, Jesus doesn't give a straight answer. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus never gives a straight answer to a question. For instance, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Seems like a pretty straightforward question. A simple yes or no would be fine. Jesus refuses to give it. He says, give to God what is God's and to Caesar what is Caesar's. Well, what does that mean exactly? So it seems as though Jesus is more interested in making us think than he is in handing us answers. We might keep that in mind as we debate so many of the things we debate in the church world. So here, Jesus once again doesn't give a straight answer. He doesn't name one commandment. He names two. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say one is the most important and the other one is next in line. He says both of them are most important. Well, how can that be? He doesn't say they're interchangeable. You can do one or you can do the other. He says they're interdependent. You, can, you can't do one without also doing the other. Now, just a little sidebar here. Turns out this greatest commandment lines up pretty nicely with our new mission statement or tagline that we rolled out a few weeks ago. It might be better to say the mission statement aligns with the commandment, but you get the idea. <laughs> Jesus did think of it first. Our, one of the ways we're describing ourselves is to say we are a community of people who are discovering life with God for the good of the world. 
Discovering life with God for the good of the world. That's what we're all about here at Grace Chapel. Well, discovering life with God is all about loving God with our whole being and with every aspect of our lives. But we do that not just for our own joy, but for the good of the world as a way of loving our neighbors as ourselves. So if you don't like that new tagline, take it up with Jesus because he started it, okay? But let's look at this second commandment because that's the one that's our theme for the week. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, like the first commandment, this one comes right out of the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah. But unlike the first commandment, this one is not famous. I mean, every good Jew knew, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. But this one is plucked out of a list tucked away in Leviticus chapter 19. There are dozens of commandments in this section, and we come to this one in verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. Now, just to give you a sense of the rest of the commandments in this list, the next one is, do not mate different kinds of animals. So Jesus, out of this list of obscure, mundane, seemingly trivial commandments, has grabbed one of them and elevated it to the very top of the list, right up there with the most important commandment, right up there with loving God with your whole being. He's telling us that this is of ultimate importance. That if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love God. And if you love God, you will love your neighbor. They're inseparable. Okay, you say, I get it. It's really important. But what does it mean? Love your neighbor as yourself? Who is my neighbor? Anybody? Everybody? And what do you mean, love them? I mean, how do you love anybody? How do you love everybody, practically speaking? And as yourself, I thought we weren't supposed to love ourselves. So what does this commandment actually mean? Those are all legitimate questions to be asking. In fact, in Luke's version of this conversation, this sincere seeker asks that very question, who is my neighbor? You see, in the, in the ancient world, Neighbors were considered people who were like you, people who were close to you, people who were a part of your group. In fact, if we look at the commandment again, we can read it. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. The root of the Greek word for neighbor is near. And so your neighbor was someone who was near you geographically, culturally, relationally, religiously, someone like you, someone who was part of your group, or as we might put it, part of your tribe. You hear a lot about tribalism in America today, how very polarized our culture is. We, we seem to not be able to resist putting ourselves and other people into categories or groups based upon their age or their demographic or their political affiliation or their race or whatever it is. And so we have millennials, and we have boomers, and we have liberals and conservatives. We have urban blacks. We have rural whites. We have evangelicals. We can't seem to resist defining who they are and who we are. It turns out that that tendency has been there all throughout human history, all the way back here in Jesus' day. But he challenges that tribal mentality. 
Do you remember how Jesus answers this man's question, who is my neighbor? He doesn't answer it straight, does he? He tells a story. There was a man who went down to Jericho from Jerusalem and he was set upon by thieves. It's the story of a good, the Good Samaritan. Now, we know the story. I'm not going to take time to tell the whole story, but we know the punchline of the story. Who turns out to be the neighbor? The Samaritan. The other guy. The one from far away. The one who was different. The one who belonged to the other tribe. He turns out to be the neighbor. And so with this one story, the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus obliterates all the categories we put people into. There are no tribes, he says, only neighbors, only people like yourselves. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, to remember that your neighbor is just like you, a human being made in the image of God. Do you value yourself? Do you pay attention to yourself? Do you care for yourself? Of course you do. Well, that's what we do for our neighbors because they're made of the same stuff we are. They have the same hopes and needs and dreams and fears. Yeah, but, but which neighbors specifically, we might ask? I mean, practically speaking, you can't love everybody. And once again, let's go back to the story. The Good Samaritan didn't love everybody. He didn't walk up and down the Jericho Road looking for other people who fell into ditches. He didn't go throughout the towns to find everybody who had a medical problem or a financial need. He loved the person God called to his attention, the man in the ditch who'd been beaten by thieves. And he loved him by caring for him, binding up his wounds, finding him a place to stay, paying his bills for the short term. But notice, the, Samaritan, the good Samaritan didn't solve all of this man's problems. He didn't give him a job, as far as we know. He didn't buy him a house. He didn't pay his physical therapy bills. He just did what he could in the moment with the resources he had to care for the man God had called to his attention. So let me try to summarize all of this in a simple statement, and then we'll try to apply it. Neighboring well means caring for people God calls to our attention. Caring for the people God calls to our attention. To care for someone is to pay attention to them. It's to value them, to understand them, to want the best for them. And that's what we do for ourselves, right? When we're hungry, we feed ourselves. When we're thirsty, we take a drink. When we're happy, we laugh. When we're sad, we cry. When we're angry, we ask ourselves what's going on. When we feel threatened, we defend ourselves. And when we have a dream, we pursue it. Well, when we do those things for other people, we're neighboring well. When we offer them food or drink, when we laugh with them or cry with them, when we ask them why they're so upset, when we stand up for them or stand with them, when we help them pursue their dreams and, and, and hopes, we're neighboring well. And while we can't do that for everyone, the whole world, we can do it for the people God calls to our attention. The people who, for some reason, we notice. 
Every day, you and I meet hundreds, dozens if not hundreds of people as we go off to school or work, as we make our way through the neighborhood, up and down the streets, doing business, all kinds of people. We, we can't stop and care for every single one of them. But have you noticed that God sometimes calls our attention to somebody? A particular person we notice. Maybe we notice that they seem lonely or, or they seem discouraged or they're troubled or struggling. And we notice and we, we want to do something. Maybe we, we just say hi or we offer an encouraging word. We give a helping hand. Maybe we simply offer up a quick prayer for them. But we care for them in that moment. That's neighboring well. Sometimes it's, it's a group of people we notice. Maybe we're watching the news or we're reading the paper or we uh, encounter some group of people in our everyday lives and we get concerned about them. Refugees or, or people with special needs or, or uh, orphans or teenagers or the elderly, whoever it might be. Suddenly God calls our attention to them and we're concerned about their plight and we want to do something for them. I believe that's God calling our attention to people. And when that happens, they become our neighbors. And when we care for those people, we are neighboring well. Now, our regional and global partners who've been with us this week, they have set a wonderful example for us of this. This is how most of them got started. God called somebody to their attention and they began to care for that person. Last week, we heard from Hector and Margarita. 20-some years ago, they were Christian teenagers growing up in Guatemala. They volunteered to help out with a ministry that was serving children from the local village, uh, which was right near the, the, the garbage dump there in Guatemala City. And for some reason, they, God took hold of their hearts about those children. And they volunteered again and again and again and again. Long story short, 20 years later, they are running an enormous ministry called the Potter's House that provides food and health care and education and empowerment and Jesus to thousands, tens of thousands of children and families living in the garbage dump in Guatemala City. That's neighboring well. 20-some years ago, a young man here at Grace Chapel named Todd went on his first mission trip. He was living in Boston, working in finance, took a mission trip to a Central American country. He stepped off the plane, and for the first time, or for like, a, like the first time, he encountered material poverty. Now, it wasn't as if he'd never heard of poverty before. He knew there were poor people in the world, but somehow, suddenly, it took hold of his heart, and he said, someone needs to do something about this. And so he began doing some things about it, praying and learning and, and volunteering. Long story short, 20-some years later, he's leading an international ministry called Peer Servants that offers microfinance and economic opportunity to materially poor people all over the world. Now, we, we could tell a similar story working our way right through the roster of our global awareness partners. Emmanuel and Santanese grew up in Haiti, one of many children running the streets of that nation. But somehow along the way, God took hold of their hearts for, for the many orphaned children in that nation. And so they began serving them, and now they're running the Hope for the Children ministry in Haiti, an orphanage for children and a school for hundreds of them. Joyce was a young woman uh, here at Grace Chapel. She found herself a dozen or so years ago sitting with a bunch of other women, all of whom were dealing with domestic abuse. And suddenly she realized something had to be done about this. 
And so she began listening to these women and connecting them to one another and helping them find resources and equipping churches to serve them more effectively. And now Hager's sisters ministers to hundreds of women and children and families across the greater Boston region. Kareem and Rita were living in Canada. They went to visit their homeland of Lebanon and were so struck by the needs of children and young women in particular, they stayed. And they run the Cedar Home for Girls that cares for, for orphaned girls and refugee girls and young women at risk in that country. Norma is a retired missionary. She finds herself living in Orlando, but she can't sit still. So she goes to visit the local prison nearby and God takes hold of her heart for incarcerated women. And so now she begins sitting and listening to them. Sometimes caring for someone is as simple as listening to their stories. You get the idea. I can't tell you every partner's story, but you can read about them in, in our flyers here. But it could be that this week, God has called your attention to one of those partners or to one of those people groups. And suddenly you you're energized. Something has to be done. There are all kinds of things you can do to care for them. You can pray for them more intelligently. Make a commitment over the next year to pray for that partner or people group. Get on their mailing list so you can pray for them intelligently. You can join a partner care team. We set up teams of people who provide ongoing love, care, support for any of our partners around the world. You can join a care team like that. Your life community can adopt a partner so that together you care and pray for that partner. You can volunteer with one of our regional partners nearby and find a way to serve people in need right here in our city. You can go on a mission trip this summer, a cross-cultural learning experience, and actually be with people in some other part of the world. And of course, you can give. Understand that when you give to Grace Chapel, a substantial portion of every gift you give goes to support these global partners and ministries regionally and around the world. Neighboring well is simply caring for the people God calls to our attention, valuing them, serving them, understanding them, and pointing them towards Jesus. And our, our partners have set a wonderful example for us. And next week, we're going to continue this theme a little bit and talk about how we can neighbor well in our own neighborhoods. We'll get back to our Thrive series from Colossians, but the two themes will come together nicely. But before we finish up today, I want us to think for a few minutes about how we neighbor well in our own country right now in the wake of our election this past week. It's been a tumultuous week for our nation. I've, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I've lived through an awful lot of campaigns and elections in my time, and I can't remember one as fractious and as unsettling as this one, both before and after Election Day. I mean, no matter who you voted for, what you were hoping for, chances are you woke up Wednesday morning or went to bed Wednesday morning surprised at the outcome. No matter how you voted or what you were hoping for, I, I think we all would, are unsettled by the way the week has been unfolding. Our president-elect has taken an unconventional path to the White House. He is an unknown quantity in the political arena. Some people are excited about that and hopeful for change. 
Some people are troubled by that and afraid. Either way, our nation is about as divided as it's been in a long time. Across all kinds of lines, race and gender and class and age and political affiliation. And that, that division, that disruption has found its way into families and into friendships and into churches. I've spent a lot of time this week listening to brothers and sisters in Christ who are feeling betrayed, overlooked, judged, forgotten as a result of all that's happened here in this past week. I think it's safe to say that no matter how we, how we voted, we're, we're all unsettled by the current state of affairs. So what does it mean to neighbor well in our current political environment? Well, let me suggest that God has called to our attention a certain group of people, people who voted differently than we did. Now, we've always known there are people out there who are going to vote differently, but suddenly we are more aware of the fact that people voted differently than we did. And, and, and in an election where the, the two major candidates were, were so, so flawed and so provocative, we tend to be surprised to find that people who are close to us voted differently than we did for one or the other. Mark Galley is the editor of Christianity Today. And in a recent editorial just this week, he writes, we look at one another and ask, how could you, as an evangelical, possibly support your candidate? Now, unfortunately, we're not listening to one another's answer to that question. We are rushing to judgment about someone's faith or values or integrity. Instead of believing the best about each other, we are assuming the worst about each other. So let's remember that people who voted differently than we did are our neighbors. This election has called our attention to them and we're called and commanded to love them as we love ourselves, to, to pay attention, to listen, to value, to understand them, to, to, to even learn from them. Some of you are familiar with uh, Trevor Noah. He is a kind of popular TV personality, a, a South African comedian, and now the, the host of The Daily Show on Comedy Central. I happened to catch an interview with him on the radio this past week. He was reflecting on the fact that nearly everyone got this election wrong, including him. And he said he was incredibly humbled by that realizing suddenly how little he and we actually know about anything. He said, we don't know anymore. The media, the politicians, the pundits, we just don't know. So my goal is to exist in a space of not knowing, but learning. To exist in a space of not knowing, but learning. It's not a bad posture to be in right now. And if a comedian can enter that space, 
shouldn't followers of Jesus be able to enter that space as well? To listen and learn. Because if we listen, we'll learn that many people of color in our country today are feeling vulnerable and afraid and uncertain in ways that some of us, many of us, can't fully understand. And they're feeling that way not only because of the, the rhetoric or policies of our president-elect, but because they're beginning to wonder how the rest of their neighbors feel about them. Are they welcome? Are they safe in their own country? They're afraid. If we listen, we'll learn that many people are relieved at the possibility that hundreds of thousands of unborn children's lives might be saved in the years to come if the president follows through on a policy to pursue a, a pro-life agenda and to appoint certain kinds of Supreme Court justices. They're feeling relieved and hopeful because nothing is more important to them than that, the saving of unborn children's lives. If we listen, we'll learn that many Christians are feeling judged by their brothers and sisters in Christ because they voted for Donald Trump. Their vote wasn't motivated by, by, by racial ideas. They're troubled and offended by the language and by the tone of the campaign. They care about social justice and about economic opportunity and racial reconciliation. They simply believe that their party is a more effective platform for addressing those concerns. If we listen, we'll learn that many women in our country, younger women in particular, are feeling disappointed and vulnerable and demeaned. Not just because a woman didn't break the glass ceiling, but because of the way that women were, were objectified by one candidate and commoditized by another candidate. I understand these are all very complex issues. These are not easy conversations. And I'm sure I have misrepresented all of you in one way or another in the past few minutes. <laughs> but surely love means we'll give each other a chance that we'll think the best, that we'll create space, that we'll offer grace and try to understand one another. And if anybody ought to be leading the way of love, surely it would be followers of Jesus. Understand, I'm really not trying to talk politics right now. We did that a couple of weeks ago. And we learned that our, our responsibility right now as faithful citizens is to be prayerful, to be respectful, and to be engaged. And each of us has to figure out how we will best do that in the days to come. All I'm doing here is offering a simple plea for the body of Christ to come together that we would seize this cultural moment, not just to survive the moment, but, but to, to seize that moment, to take advantage of this opportunity to truly become an even more diverse and authentic community, to show the world what it looks like to love people, to love our neighbors as ourselves, even people who are very different than we are. 
So let's stop attacking each other and unfriending each other. <laughs> let's start listening to each other and learning from each other. Let's try to understand one another's hopes and fears and needs and dreams. Because if we can't neighbor well in the body of Christ, how in the world will we neighbor well with those who are far from Christ and his kingdom? Now, in just a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to demonstrate and experience that oneness by coming together around the communion table in every one of our venues. As we come together, we will be sharing the bread, sharing the cup with people who voted differently than we did. People who are feeling differently than we're feeling right now. But people who have a love for Jesus Christ and for his gospel and for the work of the church. And so it's a wonderful opportunity for us to come together in Christ around this table. So as we, as we conclude our Global Awareness Week, let's renew our commitment to supporting and praying for our regional and global partners as they carry out their work around the city and the world. Let's renew our commitment to walking through our days with our eyes and hearts open to whoever might, God might call our attention to and then to care for them in whatever way we're able to. And let us renew our commitment first of all to be people who love God with our whole beings and love our neighbors as ourselves. For Jesus' sake, let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for a time and a place to wrestle with all these things, profound truths, worldwide needs, national challenges and unrest, interpersonal strain. Thank you for this time and place. Thank you for the scripture by which you speak words of wisdom and guidance and comfort and healing and hope into our lives. Thank you for brothers and sisters around us who are different than we are, but who love you with their whole hearts. Lord, may the church show the world, show our nation what it looks like to love one another. Let us come together around our common love for you and the work you're doing in the world, our commitment to each other and to partnering well. Pray that as we come together around this table, you might meet each of us, speak to our hearts about the particular ways in which we can more fully love you and love one another. We offer you this time in Jesus' name. Amen.